I'm talking to essentially a complete stranger. We are identifying commonalities and views. We're listening to another perspective, perhaps. What I've learned from you is Mm. that the conversations are valid that happen, right? We are giving validity Mm. to everyone's conversations. Now is the time. You're invited to join us, a movement of leaders willing to step into a new approach to leadership across the global landscape. This is as simple as humanity being just you and I, and stakeholders being the value you place on each decision to add or take away from humanity going forward. Hold them. Stay with us. We know people like you want to play at a different scale. And these conversations help create the opportunity for you to take this up a notch, or two, or a whole lot more. With curiosity, let's dig deeper, behind the scenes to see the why, the what, the where, the who, and the when. From other smart humans who make smart decisions and innovate smart, sustainable solutions to narrow the gap from problem to solution. Learn in today's conversation how you can begin to do this. Come, join us. Hey, Angela, such a privilege to have you here, have a conversation with you. And I'm excited to learn more around a lot of the thinking that you have because you are able to bring what I think is fascinating in the business world, but then bring that into the political space as well. And especially with what's happening across the globe right now, I think we could have quite an interesting conversation. Thank you very much. I feel very uniquely privileged in the worlds that I walk in. Um, Often it's with one foot in one world and one foot in the other world. And technically they really shouldn't meet the way they do with me. Mm. So why do you say technically they shouldn't meet? I want to know more about that. You usually belong to one or the other full time. You might have a history in one or a history in the other, but you don't usually have a 50-50 split and be active in both at the same time. It doesn't yeah. usually happen that way. But isn't that what we're needing to do a lot more in life, if you think about it, that I think in society we have separated the personal and the professional. We've separated culture in that we've or environments we've been built up in and then gone and been someone else or doing it differently in the workspace. So in some ways, I actually think what you're you're able to experience and that having to go in and out of that is something that we as a human race are really facing a lot more now and having to embrace that. So what are you seeing by having to go in and out and then connecting them? It's interesting because I've always thought of myself as, as a person not as a female business owner or a female in politics or as someone's daughter. I'm someone's child. Yeah. Um, I have a brother. We're both children of, of that family. So I've I've never separated myself into those segments that society seems to want to pigeonhole all the time. And you're 100% right. As the person that I am, I don't feel disconnected from all those parts of me. For instance, I have a Greek background. I'm born to Greek parents Mm. and I feel that's part of my culture and I'm not ashamed to say, you know, that sometimes I react to things because of my heritage or my culture. I might use it as an excuse but 
it's who I am. And in fact, mm. in one of the recent media pieces that was done on me, the journalist referred to me as a, a politician with a Greek background. And someone wrote in on my behalf, they didn't ask me, and they wrote in on my behalf and were offended that the journalist had done that. And then the journal rang me and said, look, I'm really sorry. Did it offend you? Do you want me to take it out? And I went, no, I'm not offended mm. by the information that describes another part of me because I'm not one or the other. It is important, I think, for people to know what does influence me. Oh, that's such an interesting conversation because if you think about it in lots of ways, what's happening right now is that a lot of the minorities are actually breaking out into minorities of minorities of minorities. And so this whole conversation around the minority joining with the majority, that gap is widening and the division is becoming bigger because we are seeing things as separate things. And what I love about what you said was, hey, I am who I am and I turn up in every situation with that. And that goes back to a lot of what I'm teaching right now and a lot of the insights that I've gathered from being a nomadic CEO when when the borders were open, by the way, and I was across the world for at least four and a half years. You know, a lot of the things that I realized was that we needed to get back to and something that I feel very strongly around is that what if we use different lenses in the questions we ask? Would that mean that we would have different results at the table? And I think that part of this turning up as a whole rather than this is a minority is going back to the whole crux of what I teach, which is humanity as stakeholders. What if we use the lens of humanity first? In other words, the thing that we will agree on at the table is that we're from the human race. And if we make decisions based on the fact that it's going to add to humanity or take away, it's less about that minority and those pieces. Yes, we come with these amazing distinctions to the table, but first we have to come as humans first. And I think we're losing a lot of that. And even in the way that we're having conversations, we're forgetting that maybe we just came from a really busy time at home where there were some things that we had to put in place. And in a lot of cases right now, maybe homeschooling, and then we come on a meeting and, and we've got to bring it. You it, don't just change from that thing to no, that thing. It, it's like it's that. very hard, yeah, especially I think if we use parents as an example, mm. I'm not a direct parent but I'm world's best auntie. And oh, we love people like that in our world. The way I treat my nieces and nephews mm. and what I see my brother and sister-in-law going through raising three children I have a different perspective and a different respect now. Yeah. And then I, I also, though, find it difficult to take that maternal instinct that I feel towards them and it doesn't always come through in the way I treat my mother. Hmm. See, I'm picking that up in myself because I'm realising that she's got that maternal instinct to me and she cares and she worries and she wants to know things and, you know, I'm sure everyone can see that I'm I'm not a child. I'm quite a bit older than that. And I'm sometimes... Just over like, 21, right? Yeah, just, just. <laughs> if too. you don't add the summers, you know, <laughs> yeah, separate, separate the seasons out. So, you know, I still dismiss her concerns and I get offended by them sometimes. Mm. And then I think, well, hang on a second, you know, how do I feel towards these children? And, you know, what do they stir in me when they disrespect me? You know, supposedly, I mean, yeah. the two, you know, the difference. But so I, I try to take that lesson and that warmth that I 
feel and generate that way and take it back and go, how am I treating this woman who I am have just taken for granted? And, you know, I do that all the time and then and then want to connect in a different way so that she understands that I respect her as a human because I don't think mm. we do that, no. you know. I think we kind of turn around and go, you don't understand my life, you know, as if we were teenagers looking to our parents and going, you don't know what it's like to be a teenager. They did. She knows what it's like to be my age because she's been there. I don't know what it's like to be her age because I haven't been there yet. So I'm trying to learn human lessons and I'm, I'm not always learning them or I'm not always walking the walk on them, but I feel like I owe it now to everything that I do to really understand a little bit more. And, you know, I've only really started to pay attention to a lot more of of racial issues now at this Mm. stage of my life, even though I've experienced racism um, and a different level being the daughter of migrant parents, I don't look like someone who would have experienced it. Mm. And I don't actually know what it's like to really experience the level of racism that does exist in different environments. And as you said earlier, we are becoming a society that is really becoming much more diverse in the isms. (laughs) We might be multicultural here in Australia, but that's about all we've acknowledged. That's it. Just that they, those exist as if the census that we've just done in Australia where we've ticked that box about what cultural background we've got. That's about all we've done, I feel, to pay the respect of our diverse communities. And I think that comes back to when we're making decisions at the table that actually we haven't looked at those things as added value. We've looked at them as almost, and I hate the word diversity because I think that there's this negative connotation to it. And I call that we're humans first and we bring our distinctions to the table. And I love distinctions. Like I should have said hello to you and gone Kelly Matter rather than, you know, like I, it's fascinating learning about different cultures. It's one of the things that I got to do with immersing my, my business world with living in amazing spots across the world. And I think that there's so much learning we can take from it, but we get messed up in what is the ugliness of it and the, the challenges of when you don't think the same as other people at the table. So how do we now, knowing that these are added value, to the conversation, how do we change who comes to the decision table? Because I think that we we know it in many cases now. And yes, we're ticking a box. We've got to take it from ticking the box to actually putting it into society and then seeing how we can make different decisions that then change the culture going forward. How do we do that well? How can we do it? I think um, if we, for me personally, it's been Mm. taking the positive, negative lessons of politics. Mm. Um, And that's been, you know, when there is um, an election campaign underway and we we see a little bit more of this, obviously, in American politics because there's been more TV documentary drama about it, but it it happens here in Australia. When you're running an election campaign, you come out with your platforms and your policies. Mm -hmm. And then you attend debates at different levels. And one thing we do do as as politicians, we kind of try to put the shoe on the other foot and think, well, what will the other side come back to us about, right? (laughs) What are are the weaknesses in our arguments? Mm. 
Now, we don't take that example and transfer that in a positive way into our other decision processes in terms of government policy, because I'll start with that. Yeah. So when government comes up with a new policy, it's it's usually an idea of someone and then it's asked to be rolled out in a certain way. And cheekily, we refer to that, if you're a minority politician, you refer to that as predetermined outcomes with predetermined consultation parameters. So only ask the questions you want to get the answers mm. to. So then you can demonstrate, well, we asked 100 people and 95 of them said this. Yep, backed it up. That's why we're doing it, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So we, we know that that happens. We, we know that that happens in politics and I think we're starting to realise that in the civilian life. Yes. So if we took that example of that push-pull mm-hmm. polling or debate practice or election prep and we put that into government policy, then we would run the same campaign mm-hmm. for different views, put in the yes. same resources, mm-hmm. expose ourselves to the same extremes, you know, you what? ask 100 people this question to get that result, you ask 100 people this question to get that result, and then truly sit down to make a decision mm. that works for both. Now, people say you can't keep everybody happy all of the time. I disagree with that. Oh, I love that. Tell me more dis- about that. I disagree with that because mm. what you have to understand is what is the true motivation behind what people are asking for. And nine times out of 10, you will get to a position that does work for everyone because you just have to take the time to understand the motivations of what they're really asking for. And sometimes it's not actually about the policy. It's about the process. And that's what they want to change. That's what I've learned in 10 years in politics is that I wasn't actually I was bringing the business brain, which made an assumption on the data. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in business, you get data that covers everything, right? Do you like chicken? Yes or no? It's black and white data often in business, right? My sales are $90. Yeah. I know, right? It's black and white data. Mm -hmm. It's not in government. No. And they have And yet our processes, our systems, our thinking is all built around that. Correct. Mm. And that's that's what I've learned and that's what I've realised is what I want to change. Oh, I love that. And no wonder we're having a conversation today because I'm right with you on that. But here's the thing, just because I'm right with you on that, there are so many people that go, yeah, sure, that sounds great in theory, but how do we put it into practice? And how do we actually, you know, and, and this is one of the things that working in amongst the global leadership space, you could get really downhearted give up because it feels like those gaps between problem and solutions are getting wider. And it's almost like I'm joining the yes or the no people. Correct. And and if we are to have a conversation that maybe we're going to hear variables to that that don't fit in the yes or no, then we don't want to have that. That's an uncomfortable conversation. And we then don't even know what to do with that. I think we've kind of got to that point right now. Yes, and bravery and courage and confidence and the ability to not be shy and at least stand up and ask a question even if you're worried Mm. about, you know, stating your truth. Yeah. You become a target the minute you state your truth in one way or another. That's how you start to become identified. I I understand all of those things. Mm. I think it takes special people 
and they are called on at different stages of their life to be the brave ones, to have the courage. Mm-hmm. You know, we see that in mothers fighting for their children in one way or another. So true. We see that in parents who are often left to make very difficult decisions about their futures mm-hmm. because of the way it impacts on their families. I, I would say to all of us, we've all, we already do that in different yeah. ways of our life. Please don't think that this is a new thing you have to find, but you do have to understand that mm-hmm. if we don't speak up, in some way, whether that's questioning a process, standing with someone who's questioning the process, Mm. ask a question. That's all you have to do is start to ask more questions. You don't have to antagonise. You don't have to set the place on fire. You don't have to go viral. You don't have to wear a badge of honour that you got banned from Facebook or any other social platform. You can just be genuine in asking the question, why does it work like this and listen to the silence. That's what I say. Listen to the silence because you'll find that a lot of people will go, I don't know why mm. we do it like that. that. And that's all you need. You need that yeah. one other person to say, I don't know why we do. Why mm. do we do? Yeah. And the process begins to change. And then it's not about the ism because there's an ism in everything. I, I, I'm so over the, the labels that is on everything when I'm with you. I keep wanting to find just, I just need to find out why it works this way so then I can contribute to the repair, not the destruction, Yes, the repair. Yeah. And I think that, you know, part of that is having a curiosity to ask the questions because. I'm, I'm grateful for the sun today. I am, but. So, <laughs> that's right. But I think there's. There's that moment where we have to have a curiosity to want to ask that those questions. And I love how you said it takes courage sometimes, you know, for, for you to, to be able to do that. Where's that courage come from you? Were you just born this courageous, amazing human or did this develop over time? So I think that was a big sigh. <laughs> I have had a phenomenal year of discovery. I thought I knew everything about me that there was to know internally. I I thought I'd already discovered it. But I reached a very low defeated point and was doing that typical I'm a victim, um, I feel sorry for me and nobody's going to understand how I feel. I wasn't projecting it. I was just I was feeling it inside and I wasn't asking for help because I didn't want help. Yeah. yeah, but I, I wish I could tell you how it happened exactly. Mm. All I know is that I sat down to have a long think about why I've made the decisions yeah. that I've made in the last decade because I was ready to walk away from everything. Mm. I just felt everything mm. had defeated me. Yeah. I hadn't made any difference anywhere. So why I was, am I doing this? Yeah. You know, I should care about me. I want to be selfish again. I deserve a life. I do. And all of those things were valid and I couldn't mount an argument. And then I had an epiphany because one person in one conversation said to me, you may not know how people feel about what you've done Mm. because maybe enough of them don't speak up again, Mm. but you have made a difference People do appreciate what you've done. Please don't walk away now. And I just, because I respected their view, yeah. I just sat down to have a think and I went back to 
why I've done the things I've done yeah. or, or the way I did them or who I was when I did them. Yeah. And I remembered what I was like as a five-year-old and the attitude that I had, which was just to calmly go about what I wanted to have. You know that that <laughs> attitude that kids have where they don't see anything else, they don't let anyone's opinion influence no. them. It's a very, it's a beautiful, very plain, simple approach. Mm-hmm. Often, often they, you know, drive their parents nuts in their determination to get there, right? Sounds like my autistic children. They're just like that. They just head where they want to go. Yeah, they do I want what, what I want. And they're not, nothing's going to stop them. Yep. Mm. And that's, I remembered I remember mm. what it was like and I didn't yeah. yell and scream what I wanted and I didn't go crazy and I didn't hate people for not giving me what they mm. wanted. I just found another way to do it. Yeah. And it was like a calmness. It was, mm. uh, it was, and I'm not a calm person. People that know me will tell you I'm not a That's calm That's probably person. the Greek side of you coming out of you. <laughs> it's my mother. Ah, there you go. But it worked. It worked to just ground yeah. me and centre me and just sort of, you know, I, I don't always do it every day, oh. but it does under. So you're not superhuman, you're just human. Okay, cool. Yeah, Good to know. well, I'm, I'm a female human, so it does make me a little bit more superhuman. Oh. We accept that, right? That was good. I like that. Yeah. Talking about being female, let's go there. Like you were in a male-dominated environment, particularly 10 years ago. Yep. Has that changed? Is it changing? How do you keep your feminine side of you, which you do so well, as part of who you are and turn up in an in a environment that in many ways, you know, there are certain ways to turn up? It's not always a simple process of, of how mm. you turn up because I get and did get yeah. Um, very intimidated by the male element that was around me mm. in the early days of politics. What I did have to draw on was the bravado of my hospitality business background. So mm. being a waitress just gives you different tools of confidence to approach strangers, even though you know you have a purpose and you're executing your job. But I'm only five foot two. Mm. I never really met many so a giant. politicians. Yeah, I'm a giant. <laughs> on the inside, I'm six foot four. On the oh inside. my gosh! Imagine if you were some other height. Maybe that's how you have got inside. I, I do. I do wonder what an, an extra foot and ten less kilos would would have changed in my life. But you yeah. know, you you're you know, brilliant, you, and we love that. So I I felt very overwhelmed in the beginning, but I so slowly discovered that. You know, I was marching to the beat of my own drum. I had to focus on that. I didn't have to make friends with them. I Mm -hmm. had to do my best to collaborate. And like any industry, and I think the reality is that when you are a new kid on the block Mm. in an environment where there is a pecking order yes, um, and seniority is associated with power as opposed to earned, because mm. you know you've been, prom- you know, we'll we'll just assume that you normally get promoted because you deserve it. Of Let's course. not pull apart the other bits. Yeah, and being in that kind of environment, dealing with all of that, and being an independent minority, mm. was often a huge problem in breaking through. But where I realised I had the advantage was that I didn't have to behave 
in ways that they thought were acceptable. I could behave what worked for me. And it was my attitude and my personality that changed. So when someone would put their hand on my knee at a table dinner and assume that they could get away with it, they expected me to do one of two things, right? Put up or make a big deal about it publicly somewhere. And instead, I did the Angela thing, which was very quietly lean over and just ask. Remove it. Well, which finger would you like me to break? <laughs> I love that. That was awesome. Because I believe in giving people a choice, right? Which finger would you like to be broken? Mm. And include them in the consultation, right? That's what I stand That's for. That's fantastic. The I love process. It. Yeah. And I, I was in, you know, it was that minute where they look at you were like, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, that twitch then, then they get that twitch. That disruptive like, moment. Because mm. I needed them to know quickly. Yeah how serious I felt what they were doing. Perfect. And the only way I could express that was to, for them to understand that I was going to cause them pain. Yeah. And I and I actually wanted them to think about it next time they did it to another woman who couldn't speak up mm. for whatever reason. I wanted, yeah. I would hope that there was a trigger that yeah. they kind of go, oh, no, I shouldn't do that. Yeah. And I think that's where your role modelling that hopefully for the generations to come that it won't be all like this and if we can and and I, and I think that this is a challenging piece like is it so ingrained in culture that it is never going to be changed or is there like are you seeing a glimpse of hope for the change uh, honestly i'm yeah. i'm not in that world and uh, i want to qualify it is that it's not because the individuals aren't nice people. Yeah. I'm I'm not I'm not saying that. It's a culture. It is a culture. The only mm. thing that will change is that women will feel stronger and more empowered to say something oh. at those different stages because we've all been talking about it or because our numbers have increased and we do have friends. And you know, a lot more women now, politicians in different political parties have reached out to me to say it's really important we want to get to know each other because oh so good you know yeah. that kind of networking to collaborate yeah. to share information it feels like it's less competitive i'm still not going to underestimate yeah. it though you know but i think but i think that that's the thing is that we have got to stop seeing each other as competition and go, how can we help you to be the best you? How can you help me to be the best me and do that together? And I think particularly in the Australian culture, it has had that tall poppy syndrome. There's no other country that I have seen that this is so ingrained in our in our culture here. I do a lot of work over in the States and, uh, you know, they call it the the, the ceiling over there, there's in the Philippines, they talk about the frogs and the bucket and trying to, the frogs are trying to get out and the other frogs are pulling them in. You know, there's all different pieces of how this looks like. But I think the bottom end of it is that it's hard for us to see another human and go, well done, Angela. I love what you're doing there. How can I best support you? How can I best encourage you to be the best you? And that is not how we've built culture whether it's in politics whether it's in business uh it doesn't matter this is not something that is in our culture but this is something that i think we have to change and one of the ways to do that is through collaborative through partnerships through going hey i'm really awesome in what i do here but i'm actually much better if i join forces with you how can we do okay. that better 
What it's can that look like? A slight disruption to the conversation. I have a question for you. Are you even a little curious to see how you can use your platform to change the conversation? To maybe design solution pathways where you have certainty and afford movement? Or truly, do you want to increase your economic and cultural impact? Awesome human, if you want to lead, to pioneer a new approach, to role model what is possible and to leave sustainable footprints for the generations to come, then I would love for you to reach out to me and the team to see if we're the right fit to make this a reality for you. And if we're not, no hard feelings, as I know many awesome humans who may be the right one. Okay, I've included three ways in the show notes where you can begin a pathway with us on a journey to your next level. One, a strategy analysis. Two, the next growth incubator cycle. Three, a potential investment partnership. As founder and CEO of Decision Velocity Global, I'm all about building a sustainable, scalable growth ecosystem where humanity, like you, are stakeholders to design cutting-edge solution pathways and to narrow the gap from problem to solution. I want you to come on this journey with me and others and not to be left behind. There is a seat at the table for you. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. I think we it's the lessons that we need to learn. The startup community does it well. Yeah. They collaborate out of need. So true. You yeah. know, they cross-pollinate. They, even the terminology yeah. that they talk about that's come out of that, you know, collaborating, share, yes. co-sharing spaces, cross-pollinating, working mm-hmm. with each other, finding someone else that can complement what they do. They they are used to doing that to get ahead and yeah. to achieve better outcomes. And somehow in the other worlds that we dwell in or mm-hmm. we get out of or we start differently, we don't carry that over. And politics is very much a survival of the fittest, yeah. you know, eat or be eaten. Yeah. That That is the way they are taught that it works. That And I love your frogs in the bucket mm. analogy. I, I haven't heard that before. Yeah. That is politics. You have mm. to step over someone, push their head yeah. down, drown them to get, to get out. Yeah. And that's just the way it works mm. because of the short-sightedness of the system. You know, you're only... You're only as good as the last election and then you're only as powerful as the seat that you hold allows. Then you're only as powerful as the factions that you belong to and the Mm -hmm. alignments. So at every step of the way, you have to either be lucky to make the right decision, to hang around with the right people. All of those things, you have to compromise all the time of who you are just to belong to that gang. How wrong is that, that that gang, because that's what it is. It actually, it it puts the bristles up on me when I listen to that. Well, Mm. there's no space for saying, I don't agree with your view, because if you say it, you know, men say they don't understand how women feel or approach the workplace Mm -hmm. situation or whatever. They do actually. They haven't spent any time understanding Mm -hmm. Men in politics know exactly what it's like 
They just haven't worked out that it's not about gender for them. It's the system that they belong to. Yes. Because if you want to survive in mainstream politics, Mm. you do what you're told when you're told to do it. You do not question the nameless, faceless. Yeah. Remember, if you don't do what we tell you, we just put someone else there. Yeah. So here's the thing that I've been having a lot of conversations with lots of leaders, and that is that I think we have a responsibility to take ownership in civil society to what we can change because I think we actually have a lot of power right now as a person who is not in the political space to be able to have a voice and still have a voice. Uh, It's an interesting conversation because I've got a lot of friends and a lot of colleagues who are in the political space as well. And I feel like, again, that that gap is widening, that there's less wanting to go into the political space right now. And in the past, many of those people would have even considered to go in there. And so I'm like, okay, you don't feel like you have a voice there or you can make change there and then you have a responsibility to be able to do that in civil society. In civil society, do we have more place to be able to have a voice than we do in the political space? Or are we better off having more of us who are willing to stand and be strong in the political space? I think that not everyone is cut out to be in politics Mm. and nor should you. Don't I don't wear that as a badge of honour. I agree with you on that one. Being cut out or not. (laughs) but, But we do have an obligation I believe, of of supporting those people who are risking a lot to do it. Yeah. There are many great people involved in politics. I have met them. I have Mm. worked with them. They appear to be rare, but there are more than you think. However, they lack support. Yeah. Um, You know, while I can help a lot of people, Mm. those people that I often help treat themselves as isolated incidents Mm. and they don't step up and say, they don't pay it forward, you know. Okay, you helped me, I'm going to help you because I can't do the work I do alone. It's not business. I can't just keep hiring people mm. to produce the product, yeah. you know, scale. It doesn't yeah. work like that in, in politics. I need mm. everybody to come on board with me and help me do this. And that has been the greatest fight for me is while I might do a lot of good individual work, I can't connect the chain. Yeah. And because I can't connect the chain, I don't have the influence and impact Mm -hmm. that I should have because the individual numbers are there. I have made, I'm I'm not ashamed to say Mm -hmm. or shy in saying it, I probably Mm -hmm. should have said, I have helped Mm -hmm. a lot of people in 10 years I've dedicated my life to something and done what I set out to do and do every day. But those people collectively have not come together to share the support with each other with me to then be able to carry the fight even further. So civil society's obligation, I believe we have an obligation to participate and we are not. We aren't. We're just standing back and going, not my problem or yeah, correct. not my problem in my backyard. Yeah. Therefore, I'm okay. Oh, I feel bad for you. Yeah. But not bad enough to help or stand with. 
Correct. And the other thing is there's a lot of fear. Like if I do stand up, then, you know, I, it's that yes, no thing. You will it, be judged. Yeah, correct. I love and a lot, a lot of people are so fearful of that right now. Yes, they are. They are. They're scared of, you know, I think um, the, the whole COVID pandemic yeah. has divided a community correct. in the people that are coping and the people that aren't coping. Yeah. You know, the people that believe in vaccinations. Correct. And the people, the people that that do believe in previous vaccinations but suddenly mm. don't believe in this vaccination. Correct. We've got splinter groups, you know, and. And that's that minorities, 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 right? Correct. And mm. we are not listening yeah. to what their concerns are. Yeah. Because their concerns are more than it's not just the vaccine, it's the way that it's being funneled down a process where no one is taking ownership. Correct. You know, no one is taking ownership for it. They're just saying it. They've dumped this policy. They've Mm -hmm. dumped this thing out to the public. And now the antagonism of the public is running Mm. rife, creating so much distress, so much distrust. Yeah. And that is completely unfair and uncalled for. That process sucks. So how do we get it that culture takes ownership? The culture says, hey, I'm a human that is a part of the civil society and my decisions are having an impact or can have an impact. And and I always go back to even when I hear we've got such systems and people and things in place and I go, if I don't believe that there's even a little bit of hope, then it breaks my heart for the generations and the generations and the generations to come. We are leaving devastation behind for them. So I always think there has to be a glimpse of hope, right, that we can change this, that, yes, the direction has been going this way, but if we do and our faith will with just what we've got in our hand, if I was doing that, Mary was doing that, George was doing that, uh, Bert down the road was doing that, then we would actually change where culture is heading. How can we start doing that as a civil society and take ownership? What do you think? So let me ask you, Yeah, do you think we are smarter today than we were two generations ago? So I think we have access to smarts. And yeah. I, I talk about this in a lot of what I build out, which is about I think the secret advantage in life is actually when you know how to use the muscle of human intelligence. I think we have a lot of access to data. We can then take that data on board, but a lot of the time we don't even know what is data, what can we do, how can we use this. We are actually becoming a lot more like robots, expecting other people to do things. We are not taking that responsibility. If we were smarter humans, we would take in the data, know how to use that data, and then the output would be beneficial, add value to humanity going forward. Yes, we can be smarter humans, those that know how to use human intelligence, but we're not necessarily taught to think for ourselves, to have conversations, to ask different questions, and then use different lenses and how we filter those and then make decisions. We are so used to Tell me, Angela, how do I do this? What do I need to do? And then how do I, this, what will that look like? So it's a noisy world, right? Totally. 
and there are lots of voices and competing interests. Yeah. And if we use our kids as an example, when you have mm. a three-year-old that whose instincts already are to swipe left or right. Scary concept. Right? It's already there. <laughs> so as humans, we have the ability to learn completely different things because there's no way that it's in his DNA to swipe left or right. Correct. It's what they're exposed to. Yeah. They've only been on this earth for a thousand days and they already get that. It's amazing. So if we've been on this earth for more than a thousand days, yeah. we should have the ability to learn. We've, mm. We have the, that ability. So we may not be smarter than what we were two generations ago or ever. We may be as smart as we've ever been. The noise that's in the world, it's never been this noisy. So we, we have to quiet the noise. We have to see things for what they are, yeah. not for how they're presented. That's a different skill set that we don't all necessarily have because, mm. you know, maybe you've been, it's just your life experiences that haven't provided that. And that, that's a challenge in itself. Mm-hmm. But also I think our leadership does not understand humans. And I add that completely incredulous because we are humans, right? I know, it's crazy. Surely we should know how we are and what we want. Mm. And all I keep hearing, because I think I'm listening, is that just tell me the truth. Tell me what is really going on and what I really need to do to fix this because I should be hearing as leaders right now, the leadership should be hearing right now how agitated people are, different different communities, different, mm-hmm. diverse, diverse, diverse within mm-hmm. the minority, minority. Yes. How they're each reacting. They're all just reacting as people. Correct. Right? They are reacting as that culture reacts to things, mm-hmm. that gender reacts to things, mm-hmm. that age group reacts yes. to things. It doesn't take rocket science to understand no. they're behaving as people, right? If you stand up in front of people every day and say, I don't have a crystal ball, I don't know, what's going to happen in the future. We all sit there and we go, well, duh. (laughs) Like, what are you saying? Are you saying that absolves you of risk? Are you saying that absolves you of consequence? Are you saying that absolves you of making decisions? Because that's what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. As a leader and a business owner, I'm hearing someone put up the white flag and say, I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what I'm going to do about tomorrow. I don't know. But that's... But that's not true because every leader has a plan for tomorrow. Every business has a plan for tomorrow. But now we're hearing the leaders at the very top of our food chain. Yes. Plus they don't because we're, we're hearing that. Then we hear at some point when they change the message, oh, we did know. We know what this strain is going to do, what it did three months yeah. ago, six months ago somewhere. We know the overseas data where they've got their yeah. population vaccinated, what it does. So I'm sorry, was it the same crystal ball you consulted that you said you'd? Yeah. So here it is, right? They're not telling us, they're not sharing with us the data that they mm-hmm. have yeah. to give us the ability to make these decisions, to take us on the journey. Yeah. And here, here we arrive where business and politics yes. meet. Because leadership in business mm-hmm. plans for tomorrow. Yes. Leadership in business understands 
you must listen to your customer and give the customer what they want, not what you think they're going to ask yeah. for. Here is here is leadership in government, not politics. Let's separate that. Yeah. Leadership in government is about keeping people safe, about the fact that the government knows more of the reality of what's going on. Yeah. Therefore, they have to put the mitigation and the minimise the risk, that infrastructure yeah. in, all of these things. And we as people who in this noisy world know we've all seen the movies. Yeah, They're all playing out like documentaries now. This is the thing, right? All that noise means that all of these people now know little bits of pieces of information, but we don't know how the chain fits no. together and we are relying on a leadership that clearly either doesn't know as well, is lying to us, mm. has no freaking idea, and none of those options work well for any of us, and that's our commonality. Yeah. And that's where I believe that if we were actually having different distinctions at the table, we would know more of what that looks like exactly. and how that can look like. And I think that is part of the change that we need to see going forward is that different voices are being heard and that we are then able to take that back into community, into whatever that is, whether it's the business community, whether it's in the entertainment community, whether it's in uh, startup tech community and start having more of those conversations but it's got to start with leadership at the top who are having this at that moment. Do you know what's really interesting? And it's something that you said earlier was I, I've had the privilege of sitting in closed doors with top decision makers um, of nations, former presidents of nations, actually, and it was in Ford leadership conversations. And so people like President Santos, who was the president of Colombia, fascinating fascinating conversations you know I had a man crush on him uh, because he's so smart and although in the past Colombia had done it in a certain way it was not bringing them to peace as a country as a nation and so he had to think really out of the box and just hearing the conversation of how he did that in our leadership that was not the way that you normally do it. And then there were people like Martin Luther and uh, Junior and, you know, the movement uh, within the America, you know, African-American and the black community, whatever they identify as. Trust me, I've got many friends on many spectrums on there. But fascinating listening and being involved actually with them further, but uh, around the beloved community. In other words, saying that love is our first, you know, going back to human thinking. And here are just and, uh, another one, the president of Bhutan, like their whole thinking was about, you know, in, including even when people did wrong things and they had open door policy in the jail there. Yeah. And they bought, and, and their indicator was happiness. And they built everything. They knew that just separating, say if it was the husband who had done the wrong, from the family, that that was not actually going to be helpful going forward. And so they brought in this open house policy and the families actually lived at the jail with the, and, and it's just fascinating. These are different things. These are not the norms of how necessarily nations have run it in the past. 
But I think they are phenomenal role models of what is possible for the future. And I think that we have to, in leadership, be willing, like you've said today, to stand up for something that is different, to be strong and courageous in whatever that is, and to be willing to disrupt patterns because we know it's not working the way that it is now. One of the things I do ask on this this conversation, it's the one thing that I do the same on everything, Angela, because I think that, you know, having a conversation is amazing, but I think that every conversation we can evolve, which is what you were talking about just before, like that willingness to sort of learn that maybe I didn't have it all together a year ago, right? All of us can keep doing that. All of us can learn from one another. We can learn from the tough. We can learn from the good. We can learn from the ugly we can keep learning. So the question I I, I kind of want to almost finish up this conversation on is this one. What are you taking from our conversation today? Joy. I was thinking about that. I was thinking um, when when we finish this session and I go back to my normal day, (laughs) right, which is going to be full of chaos. Mm. I, you know, how am I going to feel about this? And and straight away, the the word that came into my mind was, I've just had a very joyful time. Oh, I love that. I'm talking to essentially a complete stranger. Yeah. We are identifying commonalities and views. Mm -hmm. We're listening to another perspective, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've learned, what I've learned from you Mm. is that the conversations are valid that happen, right? We are giving validity to mm. everyone's conversations. I think our conversation today shows that people from very different worlds actually aren't. We have a lot more in common, you and I, in terms yeah. of our attitude, mm-hmm. whether it's my newly discovered one yeah, and yours that you have been living your whole life. Who knows where those things are? You know, I may not have gotten the same joy out of this a year ago. I don't, I don't know. I don't go backwards. I look forward. But I would take joy from this thinking yeah. that, there is hope for change Love in the that. ways that I want to see it. I don't want to mm. change people. No. I want to change the process that we are involved in. Yes. And too many, mm. too many of us want to change the person. You know, I kind of, I think it's the small business owner in me, not the business mm. owner, but the small business owner in me who accepts that there are differences in people and it's never been my job to do that. It's been my job to work with everyone. It's been my job to try and, make sure that what I need to get done at the end of the day in my small business gets done. And that means that every single one of those other people that helped me do it, that I've given them what they need. I don't feel I've ever had to compromise just because I work with people. I don't view it as that definition. So my, I get joy from this, hope that there is the possibility of change and the understanding that I think we share this commonality of changing the process and not the person. Yeah, I love that. And, and yes, a hundred percent. The the per, the person is the the amazingness that is brought to the table. That uh, we want to we want to give voice to that. We want to give uh, you know the opportunity for every human to be what they're meant to be here. Is on that Earth. love? Is that where the love? Is it or is it like for me personally? I was that kid that had no voice. I was that human that had no voice. That when people of authority should have given me a voice, but they didn't and they used it in the wrong way. Or I was that kid who was told you'll never amount to anything. You're not smart. So when you talked about the smartness, I was that child that 
thought she was dumb because she was so dyslexic and her brain thought really differently. Do you know, I've had to learn how to use my differences and go, actually, that's my genius zone. That's why people pay me good money for now is actually that my brain does think differently and it looks at patterns and goes, how can we wire to a behavior that actually is going to change that result? And it's because I think differently. So what I love about our conversation today is that there is someone who is in the political space that is willing to not go, I want to change people to this way, but go, can we change processes? Can we change the culture so that actually it changes, you know, culture going forward for generations? So it's not just about a quick fix that looks good on the, in the um, polls overnight, but it actually brings sustainable solutions to humans, which is what we're needing, uh, not just today, but going forward for the generations and for that I'm truly grateful that you know you you have been so honest with your conversation today that we have been able to dive deep into some of the thinking behind it because I think what we've both established is even though we are dealing with different things on different levels we are still human and we still got to think and we've got data coming in what are we doing with that data yeah how are we using that? How can we collaborate with others to make it more effective so that this society that we live in is beneficial, not just for you, not just for me, but for every human? And I think that that's the, that's the powerful thing. I think I'm, I'm just grateful we've been able to have this conversation. And uh, I want to well, thank you. Well, this was your idea. This was your idea. It is. So, you know, I, you know, the politician in me mm. always asks, well, why do they want to talk to me? The human who's trying to be mm. different and have a different process said, why not talk to me? Oh, I love that. You know, and, and that's what I'm trying to do is that you need to have arrive at that point yeah. in order to be able to impact change. And as, you know, I tell people or, or people ring me and go, why are you doing it again? Why are you running again? Why do <laughs> you want to stay in politics? And I go, okay, if not me, who? And if not now, when? Yes. Tell me how I, where I can go to make the change that needs to be made and I'll go follow that other person if they're doing it. And then there's the silence. And I go, yeah, so help me. I love that. Thank you. Amazing droplets of wisdom for you from today's episode. Make sure you subscribe. Leave awesome ratings and reviews. Our hope is that this product creates a new awareness, activates ownership to what is next and a curiosity for the need to be a part of the change to make footsteps of sustainability from today onwards. If you want to further your journey with us, join us at our next Global Human Intelligence Forum or apply to our next Leaders Movement Parlor. Both links are in the show notes. We appreciate you. Help us to build a tribe and make humanity as stakeholders. To achieve this together, recommend this podcast to leaders, innovators, pioneers, future thinkers, and movement changers. Big love. See you on the next Global Human Intelligence Podcast.